Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham Scott alongside, as always, hello, Scott. Sean, good day. How do you do? I do, 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 do. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. I do, do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How, uh, how are you? Doing well. It's good. Uh, all as well as, as, or as well as could be expected here. In the nation's capital, as uh, you know, we continue to move through summer. Big sports month here in June, Scott. We've had the NBA go through its second round now in the midst of the conference finals. The NHL, mm-hmm. of course, moving towards declaring a Stanley Cup champion. Baseball is in full swing. French Open of tennis, the U.S. Open in golf. And now, as we speak, Wimbledon is underway not a i'm not a huge tennis guy but that wimbledon final day or the two days the saturday sunday that's that's almost appointment viewing for me yeah for me sean it's the the first monday uh Mm. or the second monday rather of of the tournament that's really my favorite because they they famously have been dark on the middle sunday yes the day of rest it's there is the day of rest in the middle of the fortnight and that means when we come back on Monday, it's, you know, wall to wall action. Uh, always my favorite. It usually coincides with Canada Day, thereabouts. And yeah. uh, I, re- I remember many times, uh, you know, having the day off and just watching tennis all day. W- one year in particular, I remember building IKEA furniture while I watched, <laughs> <laughs> watched the tennis, uh, which was, you know, equal parts frustrating and fun. So right. pretty good. Yeah. And I do remember the very famous match that went at, was it 53-51 in mm, yeah. the last set? That was a Wimbledon match. And I do remember that it had to stop overnight because it got too dark. Uh, it was Isner and somebody else. And the next day we saw our good friend Dave Hyde. And it was before the match had resumed as yet. And I said, oh, did you see the tennis match? And he's like, well, which tennis match? And I, I was, well, <laughs> today there's only one tennis match. <laughs> yeah. There's only one. Uh, so, yeah, so fun stuff happens at Wimbledon. There was a trivia question a few months ago when we, we played trivia, virtual trivia with our parents. And one of the questions was, what is the fruit on the top of the Wimbledon trophy? And we got it wrong. We thought it was a strawberry. We did think it was a strawberry because of strawberries and cream, you know, yeah. the famous, famous uh, breakfast, I guess, at at Wimbledon. That's right. But it is, of course, a pineapple, the exotic pineapple. Of course. Who who doesn't know that it's a pineapple? I know. I, I thought that was just reserved for a SpongeBob SquarePants house. But Yes, uh, me too. I, I was not uh, not aware, but now I am. <laughs> and now everyone else is too. That's right. So because Wimbledon is underway, we thought it'd be fun to go through and look at the top five ranked women's players and men's players and see who their curling comparative was. So I've gone through and courtesy of tennisprofiler.com, I've pulled the profiles of the top five men and women's players 
in the world. These rankings are maybe not fully up to date. The rankings, I took them. I don't even know if the French Open result was included in them when I pulled the ranking itself, but it, it should be pretty close to to accurate as to who's what. So, and the in between tournaments, the the start of that crap that grass court season won't be reflected in these rankings. So, if somebody has dropped out of the top five and somebody else is in the top five, I apologize for that. But these are ten players who I think are pretty interesting. Some of whom, frankly, I had never heard of before. Others who I had heard a lot of before. So it's kind of fun to go through, pull their profiles again. Tennisprofiler.com is where I got all the info. So are you ready, Scott? I think I'm as ready as I'm going to be. Okay. So we're going to start on the women's side. Let's start with the number one player in the world, Ashley Barty, 25-year-old Australian. She has one major championship or one Grand Slam championship, the 2019 French Open. Her primary strength is her service game. She wins 71% of her first serve points. She has 20% more aces than her opponents. Her weakness, though, is that she's not as strong on the return game. She wins three times fewer points than her opponents on the return game. So overall, if you're looking at her style of play, I have tried to sum it up as that she's somebody who can wear you out from the baseline really good on the serve but her forehand ranking is number two her backhand ranking is number 32 so really strong player it'll just wear you down to the point where you lose Mm -hmm. and really benefits from that service game yeah Uh, that's that's really the strength yeah so as a result, it's tough to get points off of them. You know, the serve for as good as it is to mm-hmm. win you games in tennis, obviously. It's also very good defensively that people are going to have a tough time breaking you and you are always in the position of power if you're never being broken. Yeah. So if we equate that over to curling, yeah, we think of that as, okay, somebody who's really good with the hammer. Yes. Uh, They're really hard to steal against. They might not convert every hammer, but they've got generally a high uh, hammer percentage and tough to steal against. Yes. So as I was thinking about this, my initial thought was that is a great description for Rachel Holman, a team who is going to wear you out. You are going to have to play a perfect game if you want to beat them. And they don't give up a lot when they have the hammer. They aren't super aggressive without the hammer either typically so they're not teams that are going to steal a lot and and Ashley Barty's not great on the return game in that respect she'll she'll try to play it out and and see if you will make a mistake not going to be super aggressive Holman's a little like that and ultimately not going to blow you out but you're not going to beat her very often either yeah yeah I think this is a really good comparison Sean because like you say team Holman we've talked in the past about them you know, they kind of let people hang around. And a lot of them doing that is that they don't steal very much. They're not like high up there in in the amount of steals that they generate, but they're very solid with the hammer. Uh, When they get in trouble is when they stop converting and then start giving up multiples. So uh, yeah, I think this is a really apt comparison. So Scott, let's move on to number two. Who's in that number two spot? On the women's rankings. Well, Sean, this is a name that's been in the news quite a bit. 
Uh, and that's going to be Naomi Osaka from Japan. Uh, four Grand Slams to her credit. I believe the Australian Open this past one in January and 2019. And then 2018-2020 Wimbledon. Pretty good because she's only 23 years old. I already have four Grand Slams. Mm-hmm. Ain't nothing wrong with that. No, definitely not anything wrong with that. Uh, going from the the strength i have here 70 percent more winners and two and a half times fewer double faults than her opponents so you know if you're hitting more winners obviously you're going to get more points and uh cutting down on those double faults is really good especially if you can get the first serve up and then you're you know putting a lot more pressure on your opponent with the serve on the other on the other side the weakness is 50% more errors than the opponents. I believe these are unforced errors. Yes, they are. Yes. So 50% more unforced errors than her opponent. That's where, you know, you're you're going to be hitting really hard, but you're also going to give up a lot of points. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, in the comparison here, we've got, uh, Sean, you've written uh, as a style a real puncher yeah. as a style. Uh, you got that dominant serve. Uh, you're really punching, but you are going to make some errors sometimes, right? And those errors are the things that can come back and bite you. When when you're not making the errors, you're unbeatable. Yes. So for that comparison, we have team Carrie Anderson. Sean, how does that sound? I, I really like this. I, you know, Carrie Anderson, when she first came onto the national scene, she was a pretty much hit only type player. She had the high hard one in her back mm-hmm. pocket. That draw weight wasn't quite there on her first go around at Escotti's. And then she's improved it, but it's still not necessarily the automatic that you might associate with some other players when they're when they're going really well i guess the the Mm -hmm. great example of that would be the 2020 scotty's final she has that draw to win in 10 that she misses gives up the steal she makes it in 11 but Mm -hmm. she missed the one in 10 and that that's the sort of thing where her game to be fully dominant has to have that element to it so if you're going into a game against carrie anderson i think if, if it's going to be a situation where they have the hammer, you want to force her to draw because she has been demonstrated that she'll make pretty much every hit mm-hmm. and she'll make most of the draws too. But that is the slight crack. And that's the same thing that we see a little bit with Osaka here, that it's really hard to get anything off of her serve. But at the same time, you might be able to get easier games yourself where you're holding your serve which might give you a better opportunity to break at some point right so there's just that mm-hmm. that separation of of dominance on one side and really good but not quite as dominant and it, that's where the little crack of light comes in for the opponent yeah and i'll notice here too uh, osaka's volley ranking so when she comes to the net is only 94 yeah so again maybe not as good with that soft touch in a similar way to Carrie Anderson. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Yeah, the sort of draw weight net play is very similar in that regard. They have the, the soft hands. Mm-hmm. 
All right, so let's move on to the number three ranked women's player. This is Simona Halep, the Romanian two-time Grand Slam winner, 2018 French, 2019 Wimbledon. So she's actually the defending champion right now at the championships Wimbledon, as there was not a 2020 event. Her strength is the first serve return points one. So she wins 39% of her opponent's first serve points. That is a very high percentage. 61% on the second serve. So she is almost at 50% of total points won on the return game. That gives you a lot of chances to break the opponent, to take leads in sets. That is a very phenomenal skill to have. Her weakness is at the net. She doesn't really go to the net very often, so she's not a great net player, which would help to account for the fact that her service ranking is all the way down at 52. So she's a a player who, if you get into rallies with her, you're not going to beat her in a lot of rallies, regardless of who serves. But if you go quick off of her serve, you might be able to get some points off of her, which you're going to need because she's gotten points off of your serve. So I would assess her overall as a very balanced player, really good on both sides of the ball. Somebody who, yeah, there's there's a strength in one area, but you're going to have to play a fully well-rounded match against her to win. And my comp for a balanced team is I put down Anna Hasselberg. Yeah, Sean, Anna Hasselberg, very good comp here, very balanced. They're the kind of team that can beat you anyway. Uh, I think we talk about them a a lot being maybe the best women's team in the world Mm -hmm. and that they they really have everything. Like they can play the hits, they can play the draws. You got to make a run back. Sure, Knockenhauer is going to make that run back. You need the tick shot. Uh, We got that with uh, Malberg. So pretty much everything there for team Hasselberg. We did talk uh, a, a lot this past season, Sean, about uh, Sylvana Terenzoni and her team being able to beat you anyway, especially we saw that at the, at the women's worlds where they were so dominant that they sort of, okay, you want to play aggressive, boom, we can do that. You want to play defensive? Yeah, no problem. Yep. Uh, so, so my thought immediately went to Terenzoni, but I do like uh, Anna Hasselberg in this spot. Yeah. I, I don't think you can go wrong with either of them. And we did see, I think, a little bit this year that Tiranzoni played a little more balanced than they have in the past. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what I'm talking about a little when, I, when it comes up. But I have a sense of Tiranzoni as really aggressive and going all the way, all the time, like really just almost playing like her back's against the wall every mm-hmm. end. That's my perception. But this year in the games that we saw... Of course, we didn't see as many as we would have liked, but I I got the sense that they were a little more balanced. So I I don't necessarily disagree with you. I think, though, Tiranzoni might be a better comp for another player. Okay, okay. I guess we'll see as we go along. We will. So, Scott, the next player on the list is an individual who I have to admit I was not familiar with. Are you familiar with the Belarusian number four ranked player in the world, Arnia Sabalenka. Uh, well, Sean, I am familiar in the sense that I know how to pronounce her name, Arina Sabalenka. She's number four on our list here. Uh, no Grand Slams. Very uh, young player. Yeah. 
Very young. Well, 23. I'd say young, not super young, not like not 18 or anything. Uh, <laughs> no, she's not. <laughs> she's, <laughs> Good observation. Well, 23 is not 18. Well, you know, like 30 is old for tennis, right? <laughs> so in the in the first half of her career. Yes. Hopefully. Yes. Uh, Sean, her strength is really on her service game. Uh, 71% of first serve points won. 71 that's pretty high yeah and then second serve points won 51 percent, which is really really good yeah uh the the weakness on the other hand uh 70 percent more unforced errors on the backhand than the opponents so uh not as strong with her backhand there uh forehand's a lot stronger yeah and that's the sort of thing that you're gonna scout as an opponent like okay she's weak on the backhand we want to force her to her backhand and then for her part she's going to try to stay on the forehand of course as mm-hmm. much as she can through the course of a match so because of her great skills on the serve and because she does have so many airs i equate that with being very aggressive where you're playing aggressively you're trying to hit that line you're trying to get really close to the net top spin all that kind of stuff so i have her as a very aggressive player which is why my comp for her was Tiranzoni, as I talked about. I associate them as being a very aggressive team. But you have a different thought. Yeah, Sean. What immediately came to mind for me was uh, Jennifer Jones. Now, I, I wouldn't be able to make the direct comparison because, as we mentioned, such a young player uh, with no majors yeah, compared to Jennifer Jones with all the majors. <laughs> uh but in terms of play style and, and talking about a very aggressive play style, really wanting to take it to the opponents, I, I think of Jennifer Jones when I think of that sort of the, the first thought, aggressive curling in the women's game. Mm-hmm. That's Jennifer Jones. Yeah. So I initially had actually written down Suzanne Burt too uh, as oh. another individual who plays super aggressively and will give you opportunities. Will make, usually in Suzanne Burt's cases, it's, it's, physical errors as opposed to mental errors. And and that's, I think what you see too with Sebalenka. And I just didn't think that Suzanne Bird is quite at that same level to be up compared with somebody who's ranked fourth in the world in their sport. So yeah, I I think Suzanne, or excuse me, I think Jennifer Jones is a pretty good comp there that she is very aggressive. And we've seen it over the past few years where she'll give up the big end too. And she was always risking doing that earlier in her career. But she didn't do it as often because she was able to make that last bailout shot more frequently mm-hmm. than she has over the last couple of years. So I'm okay with with Jones as the comp. I guess the argument that I might have with it is just how far she's fallen in the curling rankings. And when I say how far she's fallen, in Jennifer Jones' world, she's fallen far. In real mm-hmm. human world, she hasn't fallen very far at all. But for where she was... There's been a noticeable drop-off, whereas for Sabalenka, earlier in her career, she should just continue to ascend. So they're kind of on different career trajectories at this point. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's a, that's a fair quibble. Thank you. I, I appreciate you validating my quibbleness on that. <laughs> now, you could also make the argument that Tiranzoni is the best team in the world and having them compared to the fourth-ranked player of tennis maybe isn't apt either. So either one of those though, I I'm not going to argue too much 
but because I, I, I do think both very aggressive and both can provide opportunities to their opponents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's go on to the final women's player that we are going to talk about, the fifth-ranked player in the world, Sophia Kennan, the American player, 22 years old, one Grand Slam, the 2020 Australian Open, and oh, if we only had known at the time what was coming after that event. Mm -hmm. She uh, has a phenomenal backhand when 76% of her points on the backhand drop shot, so very fine touch on Mm -hmm. her, uh, on that backhand drop shot. Her weakness is the service game. 40% fewer aces than her opponent. She's also bad at the net, and that is typically associated. You go into the net when you are serving. So her volley ranking is down at 92, serve ranking at 65. Her strength is the backhand, and otherwise she's kind of middling in the rankings. And to win, for her to win, she does have to be very patient, she will rely on her opponents making some errors, therefore staying at the baseline, get into rallies, see if somebody will make a mistake. Very patient team. So I put down Fujisawa as the comp here, as, as a team who isn't going to overpower you. They are going to challenge you. They're going to be very good. They're not going to make a lot of errors. And they can sit back and pounce when you make a mistake. So yeah, Tsuki sort of- Fujisawa is my comp on that. Yeah take advantage of the opportunities that are presented to her. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's what Fujisawa mm-hmm. does, right? They're not, I mean, they can throw it hard. They can make all the shots, but they're not really a team that is going to overpower you. And if you play your best game at, as you're at the top level, you're going to win a lot against Suzuki Fujisawa. Whereas if you play your best against Homan, Anderson, Tiranzoni, Hasselberg, that, that top four, it might not be enough. Yeah, no, that, that's uh, that's right, Sean. I think uh, I think you're right with that. For me, the first person that came to mind uh, when when I thought of a patient play style was Rachel Holman. Mm-hmm. But you know, looking a little deeper into the numbers, I, I think Fujisawa is the right one uh, for this comp. All right, so we have Satsuki Fujisawa. They're a very international comp on the women's side and a very international ranking on the women's side for the tennis we have five women from five different countries and we have Mm -hmm. uh what we got four countries represent three countries represented here on the comps so very international feeling to the women's side of this comparison yeah we got four we got canada switzerland sweden and japan there you go i love it very good All right, so let's move on to the men, Scott. The ATP top five rankings. There is one note, or I should note too, just before we do that, on the WTA, when I pulled this, Serena Williams was sixth in the ranking. That's why she's not included. I would put, just without looking at the stats or anything, Serena Williams, Jennifer Jones, just there you go. Yeah, okay. That's a good place to put Jones in here. Okay, so uh, let's move to the men. The number one player in the world probably won't surprise you. It is Novak Djokovic, the Serbian who just won. Or no, he didn't win. Did he win? Yeah. Oh, who just won the French Open. He did, yes. uh, Won the French Open. uh, And a big comeback. 
Right. He was down two sets to nothing in that match, right? I believe so, yes. All I believe right. so. All right. And that was his 19th Grand Slam victory on the March 220 at some point. He will get there. He has a high return percentage. He wins 33% of the opponent's first serve points, which is very high on the men's side. The numbers are, are a little different when you look men's versus women's on return game, service game, and what the stats are. Really solid on the both the backhand and on the forehand. Really just a, a solid all-around player. If there is a weakness to him, it's that he doesn't overpower the opponent on the service game. So same number of or same percentage of aces for him as his opponents. But if you look at his overall rankings, incredibly solid all around. Number two on return, number five forehand, number four backhand. Just an all around solid player could be on his way to the best of all time or at the very least the most decorated of all time. So I have the comp here as Kevin Cooey. Scott, am I on the right track? Sean, I really like this comp. Uh, Djokovic is, like you say, he he might end up with the most majors of anyone. Uh, Federer, of course, has that right now. And he's one behind uh, Rafa, who we'll get to later. Uh, but he's also 34, so he's not sort of in his prime anymore. His service game has, you know, become not as good as it used to be. It used to be where he won basically because of his serve. And now he's he's become a bit more crafty. Uh, I really like this comp to Kevin Cooey, another curler who's probably in the the last maybe four years of his career, uh, if we see him past this quadrennial. Right. Who you know used to just be throwing the high hard one, but has managed to bring sort of everything into his game. And if there's one player in the world that you want throwing that last shot at a world championship, uh, Kevin Cooey's on the short list. Uh, of all those skips so i i really think this is a very apt comparison yeah and i like too that they are on kind of the same point or at the same point in their careers to where they're still dominant when they go play but it's obvious and clear that they're you know on the 15th 16th hole of their mm-hmm. their career the round of their career so it's not like we're going to see them forever of course and uh it's sort of this race now to them. Can they win those last few events that really will put them over the top in terms of being the most decorated? And then we can have the debate of best, which is right. always fun to have. And, and there's a subjectivity to that, but certainly he, he seems on his way. Djokovic, Djokovic does seem on his way to getting the most grand slams as Cooey certainly seems to be on his way to a Briar record at some point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so, so we're in agreement on Djokovic. Are we going to be agreement on the next one? Let's see. The next one, Sean, uh, Daniel Medvedev from Russia, number two. Uh, no Grand Slams to his name yet. I say yet. I, I do believe he will get there. 25 mm-hmm. years old. Uh, his strength, Sean, he's really a very good server. Uh, wins points 71% of his first serves and 52% of his second uh, we saw this uh, pretty similar to Arena Sabalenka. Uh, his weakness, though, doesn't win much when he goes to the net, which holds his serve game uh, back a little bit. So, it like as great as it is, it could be even better with a right. little a little better work at, at the net. 
Uh, so this guy, patient, Sean. Yeah, seems very patient. patient curler, yeah. And really, really can control the game with his serve. When he's in it, he really feels like he's controlling the game and it's it's going to take the opponent doing something really good, like, like really special to beat them. Right. So the, the comp we have for this, Sean, is uh, Brad Jacobs. Why don't you yeah. talk me through that? So in thinking about this idea of controlling the game, it's not just Brad Jacobs himself. It's the whole team. And the addition of Kennedy mm-hmm. really helps with that. The, Mark Kennedy can be a very patient player in the same way that Kevin Cooey can. Uh, you know, so so he, he sort of gets it honestly, I think, from playing with Cooey. And, and even Martin could be patient at times if he wanted to during his career. He didn't want to that often. <laughs> which I don't necessarily blame him for. So in his career, Kennedy has played with patient players. Jacobs was not very patient early in, early in his career. He would be somewhat impetuous, if I may, it seems. He would play really aggressively. He, he wouldn't think things through. The lasting image I have of Brad Jacobs for the last quad is him saying, all right, let's just talk this through. <laughs> he, he really wants to settle, make sure he knows what's going on throughout the course of the end. So he has that personal patience and, and can control the game in that regard. But the whole team has really bought into this and they can control the game because all of them, even Ryan Herndon, not that he has to do it very often, but they can all hit. They can all play that defensive game EJ can clear things out when he needs to. And even if it gets to Kennedy's second shot and they have to bail, they can still bail. And yeah. they're not scared of the blank end. They'll keep the hammer. They, they would play a one nothing game if they got the hammer in the first. And they, they would not object to that. So you have mm-hmm. that patience. You have that big weight ability in the same way that Medvedev has that big service ability that allows you to control the game. And then you can be patient on the other side. Just wait for your opportunity and go for it. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, you're right. They have gotten a lot better at that. Waiting for that opportunity. Like you say, uh, Kennedy is likely a, a good or a big reason for that rather. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think uh, that's pretty good. Another person I think of when I think of patient, Sean is uh, Jason Gunlickson, but yeah. I don't think uh, he's quite at the level that we're willing to talk uh, comparison with one of the top five in the world. No, I don't think so. And and yeah. Gunlickson can get in a little more trouble, I think, than Medvedev has. Uh, yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. I'd agree. So, uh, so, yeah. So, I, I kind of like Jacobs there. And I'm really curious to see how this goes, this fall goes for Jacobs. I think for as much as, yes, I, we've mm-hmm. talked on the show, like Dunstone, certainly, uh, I, you know, I have some high hopes for them or high expectations for them coming off of the bubble i think jacobs is the most interesting team going into the trials yeah uh there's definitely a case to be made for that all right so let's move on to the number three ranked player in the world who just announced or recently announced that he will not participate in the olympic games and is not participating in wimbledon yet he is still ranked very high because he's won 20 grand slams that is Rafael Nadal. Scott, Rafael Nadal has been around so long that when I was a mm-hmm. summer student working in downtown Toronto and I was going through Union Station every day 
uh, to get from the office I was working in to the Rogers Center where I worked at the Blue Jay games, there were giant posters of Rafael Nadal as he was coming to Toronto for the Toronto event. Wow. And that was 15 years ago. And he was a top player then. Yeah. And he was 20 years old then, Sean. Yeah. Uh, uh, outstanding career. Uh, he's obviously in the conversation with Federer, with Djokovic, uh, as to who's the, the best player of this generation, I'll say. Sure. Uh, but, Sean, he, he's slowed down a bit, right? Uh, he has. As, as do we all. You know, <laughs> yeah. Slow down a bit with age. 20, he has 20% fewer aces than his opponents. Uh, so his service game, you know, as, as you age a bit, uh, as we saw with Djokovic, right? The service mm-hmm. game wasn't quite as high. Right. But he also allows 10% fewer aces than the average player on the tour. So he's really good at, uh, at making a return. Uh, he's very, he's great on his forehand. He's ranked number one in the world and number three on his backhand. Uh, so what he's able to do because he's not able to get the aces He's able to return a lot. He's able to play defense uh, better than almost anybody on tour. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, we've we've compared him uh, to Brad Gushu, a, a team that we've seen be very patient. Yeah, uh, we talked about patience before. Gushu is very patient, willing to hit, uh, maybe a little less willing to have to play runbacks. Uh, although with Mark Nichols, they can make them. Right. Uh, they're. Uh, they really try to control the game from both sides, uh, whether they have hammer or not. Yeah, I I agree. And one of the things that you see too with Gushu in in the 2020 Briar, the game against Jacobs where they gave up four in the first end, it was shocking because Brad Gushu doesn't do that. Like they, they don't do that. They were able to come back and eventually win that game, but they just don't give up that big number. Even when you can get a two on Brad Gushu, you kind of look up and you're like, really? They gave up up a two? Really? So it's just so good. They're not quite, and well, I'd I'd like to look at the numbers, but I I don't associate them with necessarily being as good with the hammer as Cooey or Botcher, but they're so good without the hammer that it balances that out, that you have to scratch and claw for every point against this team. And that's what you have to do against Rafael Nadal. Whether he has the serve or you're serving, he's going to make you scratch and claw. And that's why he's so good and has been so good for so long. I think the same is true for Brad Gushu, that the change in his career, the success that they've had recently, partly it's because Mark Nichols came back and you also had the improvement of Gallant and Walker as they got older. All of those things coalesced, but you also had a change in Brad Gushu as well, not only in the shooting ability, but also in his mental game and the ability to stay calm, be defensive, wait for your opportunities. Don't go too early. We saw that when he was a young player, probably over aggressive, you know, aggressive to a fault, mm-hmm. given the other team opportunities to get big ends. He doesn't do that anymore. And with the shooting ability of that team overall, it, it's hard to score against them. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right. Let's move on to the number four ranked player on the ATP Tour. We'll go back to an Australian. This is Dominique Team. 
Oh, Sean, uh, he's Austrian. Oh, excuse me. We'll go to the Austrian <laughs> Dominic Team. He is the fourth ranked player on the ATP Tour. 27 year old, only one Grand Slam championship. That is the 2020 US Open. And he is known for his great baseline play. 51% of rallies. He wins after a backhand, 61% after the forehand. So he can sit back there and just hit him hard and win a majority of those points. Problem with him or his weakness is a lower ratio of first serve winners and aces than your average player. So you have to, or he has to get into those rallies to really capitalize on his strengths. He is the seventh ranked forehand player, 12th on the backhand, but down at 59 service, 72 on the return game. So not somebody who is is going to beat you out of the gate on any point. He wants to get you into a point, get deep into the point to really capitalize on his strength. So a slow starter, but a very patient player. And I have that as really summarizing Brendan Botcher. Yeah, Sean, another uh, great comparison in my mind. Brendan Botcher, we talked about them not running away from people similar to a Rachel Homan this year. Uh, sort of starting off, not minding a few blanks. Uh, they they don't mind putting the broom down for that hit after the first one comes in. A very, very patient team. They're, they're not going to run away from you. But more often than not, they're going to beat you, uh, which I think matches uh, Dominic team very well. Yeah, absolutely. You're going to get deep in a lot of tournaments. You're going to beat a lot of players. If you can stretch out those points, hopefully for you, if if your team or botcher, the other team gets impatient and makes a mistake just because they're frustrated or they're not getting everything they want. That's what Mm -hmm. you want to do in, in those cases. And you're also going to get to the point where you're playing shots that are your strength. And certainly we see that from botcher a lot. They can work into or work the game to get to where they're throwing the shots that they want to throw. They're dictating the pace. And that's what Dominic team wants to do. Dictate the pace, lengthen the point. Absolutely. All right, Scott, let's uh, bring us home. Now who we got, who is the final player that we're going to talk about here? The the final player we're going to talk about the Greek Stephanos (laughs) Titipas. Yeah. Well done. I'm I'm playing the and playing him saying his own name at the same time. Uh, so Sean this is a, a, a really young player, uh, 22 years old. No no majors, no Grand Slams uh, yet, but uh, he's very talented. Yeah, came uh, close, right? He was he, he he was the runner up at that French Open. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, 20 percent more aces than average, and 20 percent fewer double faults than average, which is uh, really, really good. A, a very strong server. Yeah. Uh, where his weakness is, is he has a low ratio of his return wins and a very high error percentage. Uh, this is this is like what you'd expect to see from a young player, right? Making a lot of errors, uh, not not winning as much on the return, but really able to shine in areas where they're able to dictate in you know the service game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for that, we have this team as a young or compared to a young and improving team. Uh, that's got to be Matt Dunstone, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I think if you're looking around right now that Brendan Botcher has graduated from the young and improving. 
category mm-hmm. uh, and has become established. And Matt Dunstone is really leading the way. And, I, and Ma- Mowat, too, uh, has graduated from Young and Improving. Agreed. Uh, and yeah. so Dunstone is the team that's left, uh, the, or the top team that's left in that category right now, of that Young and Improving. What is going, what it, when is it going to be that they get over that hump? Is it going to be the trials? Is it going to be the Briar next year? I would even say Canada Cup at some point or go on a run of multiple slams in a season. Once they can get to that point, and it is coming based on everything that we've seen, it'd be shocking if they didn't get there. And it seems like it's the same for Stefanos too, that it's just a matter of time for him to get that first grand slam. So uh, a really direct comp there. It's, it's a case of just continuing to improve, mm-hmm. get a little better with the, the hammer or, for Dunstone Stefanos with the the service game. And on the other side, it's learning how to be more effective defensively. It's it's not giving the other team those big opportunities, the other player that that opportunity, not giving them for Stefanos easy service games, make them work all the time on their serve. Same thing with mm-hmm. Dunstone. Don't give up the three, the four. Don't really hand games to your opponent. We saw at least once at the Briar where somewhat easy shot late in the game that just little misses like quarter of an inch off, but it gives the other team opportunities. Now he got to the Mm -hmm. semifinal, no complaints, but he did have a few misses in there that, that are the sort of thing that is going to prevent you from winning these events. Cause that's all it takes is just Mm -hmm. a quarter of an inch at the wrong time. So young and improving, definitely going to get there. Certainly high expectations. So I I like this comp a lot. Yeah. yeah, It really makes a lot of sense. And, and like you say, lim- limiting those errors, that that's going to be the key going forward because all the skill is there. Yeah, no no question about it. It's yeah, just harnessing it. And uh, when is it going to happen? And for Dunstone, they're young. They'll get there, I think. And same with uh, Stefanos as well. At uh, 22, already into a Grand Slam final. He's got a long run ahead of him. Absolutely. So there you have it. The top five men's and women's tennis players and our curling comps for them. That was fun, Scott. Yeah, that was a lot of fun, Sean. Uh, we did golfers, I believe, uh, last time, right? Yeah, a couple of years ago, back in 2019. I'll link that in the show notes, our golf episode where we took the top 10 men's players, I believe, on tour and did comps for them based on their style of play which was fun. So that's that was sort of the inspiration behind this one to see how the sports all relate to each other because there are trends that emerge among players and how they play, style of play, strengths, weaknesses that we can relate back to the teams that we have come to know on our curling screens. Is yeah, that, that we know that we know so well on yeah. our curling screens. On sure. our curling screens. On our curling like ice. On our TV screens. I don't know. Like it. I like it. <laughs> All right. So do let us know if you agree with these comps. Also, if you are a big tennis fan and think that we got stuff wrong on our assessment of some of these players, you can let us know. You can also go yell at tennisprofiler.com because <laughs> uh, I certainly don't know enough about the players themselves and their styles of play, nor am I sophisticated enough to watch a tennis tennis match to know the ins and outs of what's going on. And I know the rules but I don't know the the real subtleties of tennis to know what's going on. Yeah, I can listen to John McEnroe tell me what's up, but uh, yeah, that's probably probably it. 
I did see a thing though, Scott. There is real science behind, you know, how the players they get like three balls from the ball kid, and they look at them, and then they like toss at least one of them away. Yeah, there's actually a science behind that. That you want the least fluffy ball, the one that still has like the tightest fluff on it, as your first serve, first serve. ball. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and. So the the balls are played for, I believe, six or seven games, something like that, before they switch out the balls. And the researchers who do this have found that they can tell which ball or which balls are selected for the first serve versus which balls are selected for the second serve Mm. with just by looking at them. Really? Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Wow. I've always, I've always been like, oh, geez, okay. <laughs> but yeah, you'd want it makes sense. You'd want a slicker one to get a little more skid on that first serve. Yeah, keep it low. Yeah, yeah. a little more speed too. It's fractional, but apparently it gives them a lot of confidence. Yeah, very good. So I know that at the very least, it's and like uh, matching stones, right? That's right. Exactly. The. <laughs> <laughs> Probably just as relevant too. So, uh, so yeah, let us know though, if you're big into tennis, if we got something off and, and we'll try to correct that next week, or if you have better thoughts on the comps, if we maybe miss somebody who would be a better comp for one of these players, do reach out, let us know. You can find us history slam at gmail.com on social media at game of stones pod. Scott is at Scott lakes TV and I am at the Sean Graham. So certainly let us know. And if you have not yet, please do subscribe to the show wherever it is you get your podcast, do the likes, the ratings, comments, all that good stuff helps the show continue to grow and head on over to gamestonespod.com. All of our past episodes are there. Plus the merch is available. T-shirts, all proceeds, and we're matching going to the going to food banks, Canada, and then the rest of the merch all proceeds plus our matching is going to the Sandra Schmurler Foundation. So do check that out. So Scott. Please do. Please yeah. do. Yeah. So Scott, uh, what do you got on tap for the rest of the day? Well, Sean, you know, uh, it's a warm summer day. Maybe I'll crack a beer, go yeah. to the park. Maybe I'll take a walk. Nice okay. walk outside. Nice yeah. day for walking. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's that's basically it. Pretty boring. <laughs> All right. Well, enjoy it. Thanks. And uh, enjoy everybody out there too. If uh, if you are in Canada, in addition to reflecting on the country and, and however you choose to celebrate, it could be an opportunity if you have not yet to read the Truth and Reconciliation Commission report and look at some of the calls to action, see what you can incorporate into your personal life or into your community. It's a good opportunity to reflect upon that. And for all of our friends in the United States, before we talk again, it will be the 4th of July. So happy 4th of July. Celebrate in whatever way you do. Just do so safely, uh, especially if you're around fireworks and alcohol. Uh, I hate reading those stories every year, Scott. Yeah, not a not a good combination. No, so uh, so so do be safe out there. But uh, this this period of early July, hopefully everyone has a safe and a happy. We'll be back with everybody next Tuesday to talk a little more curling. But until then, keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final.